It's going to be a hot button topic yeah, when, we, right. uh, when we float that one. <laughs> Give us some thumbs up if you want to hear Spinal Control. <laughs> Hold back Sounds like a, a rock song from uh, yeah, yeah, Spinal, spinal Control. Tap. Spinal Tap. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Coaches on Couches. Bing slouches. Today I didn't do the gonna, drum roll. You didn't. Yeah, that was like you did the drum roll with your hands. But Boom. Nobody's gonna know on the Dang podcast it. that you actually did a drum roll. Might need to start this over. So we're talking today about the biggest mistakes that we see uh, from runners, uh, both experienced and new runners. So. Um, I am Coach Dale Sanford. I am Coach Bryant B. Fun Funston. <laughs> I'm Coach Chris Winter. We are your BPC coaches. BPC specializes in helping time crunch athletes optimize their busy schedules so they can maximize their athletic performance. Every BPC coach is trained in our five pillars coaching system that has been developed over the last decade through our work with athletes of all ages and ability levels. From off the couch to the world championship competitor. You can find out more about us at buildpeakcompete.com, checking out Facebook and YouTube at buildpeakcompete or Instagram at BPC Performance. Excellent. But first. But first, before we dive into big mistakes, shout out. Shut up. Shout them out. Who's leading off? Y'all go. So uh, we got to give a shout out to. Um, Nick and Bennett Isabella. Mm-hmm. We've uh, we worked with Nick and Bennett over the years, and uh, they went and ran the Sycamore Canyon 100K together as brothers. There you go. And uh, they won it as brothers. There you Crossed go. Crossed the finish line hand in hand, and uh, they actually set a course record. Yeah, they're both Ooh. fast. They they are both very fast, and they love running trails, so that uh-huh. helps. Um. Uh, when I was chatting with them briefly afterwards, uh, Bennett said that he let Nick take the win so he could get the prize money. And I said, Nick, well played. Bennett's buying tonight. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, the bargain was struck. Yeah. And, uh, or the deal. The deal was done. But uh, it backfired. Yeah. So Nick gets the win and he got free beer. I like it. But I think I looked at the timing, and I think actually the timing system had Bennett. <laughs> Did it? Oh. Yeah, like they crossed the well played Bennett the start line. Yeah. So Bennett started behind. Hey, there's a there's a quick tip for you. Yeah. Start a little further back so you come across the timing map, or if you're you know doing some Strava KOM stuff, yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. Start a little further behind. Quick tip. Just make sure you finish with the front. Bam, winner. Psychological. Winner, winner. What you got, Fonson? Uh mine is going to be. Matt Mitchell. So we had Crosswinds Classic. I've actually got two today, but the first one, Crosswinds Classic was this past weekend. Matt Mitchell uh, is apparently not just good at plastic surgery, but also at riding a bicycle. Yeah. And uh, he he got away with one lap to go at Crosswinds, bridged up to the lone leader, uh, and then beat him to the line. So he took the win for the team. Uh, It was a hard race for us. So a, a, another shout out to Crosswinds. So you mm. delivered the wind. Delivered the wind for sure. You delivered it. You yeah. made all three of us on this couch suffer a little every, bit. Every year. Not a little. Mm-hmm. A lot. And then I've got another one. I'm going to just dive straight into the next one. 
Uh, Hart Robinson, who was a regular on the shoutouts last year, uh, he's got some some bigger races that he's doing this year, which uh, having a pro uh, license is very beneficial because it allows you to start in the front corral. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he he submitted for his pro license, and it was accepted based on his his great results that he's had. Uh, so yeah, That's awesome. he's got himself a pro pro license now. Yeah, man. Thank you. Hashtag pro. On this couch. Hashtag pro. Spend this little time on this couch. Mm-hmm. I got a shout out. Shout out. Shout out. Uh, William Hennessy. There you go. Won uh, 25K trail race over in Arkansas. I don't know why the name of that race is escaping. We, we shouted out to him last week. You shouted out? Oh, okay, yeah. I wasn't here then. Yeah. Chris, Chris well, apparently so I, isn't watching the, the, uh, the live. No, I just really should, uh, you really should pride. watch this. <laughs> and shout out to uh, Stitch, the headless dog over here. <laughs> we had to keep the dog in the, uh, in the room, otherwise she loses her mind. Mm-hmm. She she got some love though on Facebook last. She did. Uh, Everybody apparently loves Stitch. Yep. So thumbs up, thumbs up if you like dogs on couches. I'd like to shout out to anybody who has um, offered up some uh, feedback or review or anything on yeah, the uh, on the podcast. We've been so you see we've made some made some tweaks to the set. We're signage. We look like we're uh, so Dale Dale couldn't stand there being shadows back there, so he took it as it. as life mission to. Uh, <laughs> to try to remove shadows, and now it looks like we're at a sweet club or something. We are. We could change the color to on the remote, but we could we could get this party started. Party started. All right. So for all the people that cannot see what the heck we're talking about and are here for some actual content, uh, let's go ahead and start diving into this. So we wanted to uh, take some time on this podcast to and and live Facebook feed, obviously to talk a little bit about some of the biggest mistakes that we see uh, with the running community. Now, some of this actually translates over to all sports um but we're going to focus a little more on uh, on the biggest running mistakes that we see uh for, and, and offer corrections on on how to actually either avoid that or if that's something you're doing how to cure it um, so let's just kind of dive right in it we're going to kind of run through this uh this list of things um and let's just get rocking and rolling so yeah. one of the first ones a pacing-related issue. Yeah, yeah. These are in no particular order. Yeah, uh, and for and for some of them, just knowing mm-hmm. that it's a like this is a problem is is your is your fix. It's your it's the avoidance awareness, factor. Yeah, your yeah the aware awareness is is the fix. So, mm-hmm. um, I would say one of the major ones is just starting off races too fast or too slow. I mean, um, we probably see it more commonly with newer runners. Um, but there are like the highly competitive crowd that just cannot handle themselves. And every time they get to a start line, the first like quarter mile is just blocks. Guns blazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's called adrenaline, right? Yeah. You got the adrenaline, you've mm-hmm. got freshness in the body. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's no fatigue that's built up. And uh, so it's very easy with the excitement of all of that to not have the... Uh, have the legs or the lungs telling you how fast or hard you're going mm-hmm. uh, until it's a little too late. So, Chris, what is your like main tip on on pacing off of the start line? Uh, you know, if you're, it depends on if you're going, starting off too fast or too slow. One simple fix is if you're starting off too quick is just to start in a slower corral group. So don't be right at the starting line uh, because. If if you are, then you're physically free to go as quick as you want. If you're back further in the corral, then you'll have a lot more people in front of you, so you'll have to slow down. It'll force you to. And, you know, the other way around, if you're starting off 
to slow, move up a little bit in the starting corral. You know, that'll help get people out of your way. You'll have an easier way to navigate, you know, the path uh, uh, on the road. So that's one way. Another thing too, and this kind of ties into warm up too, but is, you know, if you are warming up and you're still starting off too quick, maybe do like a two to three minute, uh, not all out, but harder effort that ends about 10 to 15 minutes before your race starts. So it doesn't zap you. But mentally, you're thinking, okay, I have a two to three minute effort running in my legs. I'm not, you're not going to be as tempted to start off as quick. And how much of this goes into actually doing pace work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is, a lot of it's pace oriented uh, work. Like if you're uh, in the, it depends if you're the race you're training for, if it's your goal race and you've done a lot of race pace work Mm -hmm. in the final four to six weeks leading up to it. Once the gun goes off, your body will want to run that speed if you've practiced race pace. So like, you know, if your goal is to do um, a sub, a three hour marathon or under that, usually it paces right around, you know, 655 to seven minutes per mile. So if a lot of your race pace work is that, then when the gun goes off, your body will just want to do that. Um, Naturally. Yeah. Into it. Yeah. yeah, yeah I typically sure. see people start off faster in shorter distance races, they start off faster than they should in like 5Ks or 10Ks, yeah. sometimes halves, and they start off too slow. Uh, a lot of times I've seen in marathons because there's more time to make up. Yeah. So, you know. My, uh, my tip here is um, don't trust any 8 to 11-year-old uh, on the start line. <laughs> if you think that they're going to win, they're guns blazing. They they're, are. They have yeah. one thought, and that is to be the first like in the front after 10 yards. Yep. And they're then, the epitome of high done. intensity interval Don't get me training. Wrong, there are some fast 8 to 11 year olds yeah. out there. They just kind of, that age, it's, they haven't really learned pacing yet. So, uh-huh. uh, just I feel good. I'm running fast sh- right shout now. Shout out to my, uh, my wife's first uh, ever 5K she did. Oh, yeah. And uh, she said, she's like, I'm pretty sure there was a little kid that was just pacing themselves off me. And he would like sprint past me and then walk. And as soon as I caught him, he'd like sprint past me again. And eventually he nipped her at the line. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he, he must have been eight years old. Oh, man. That's a great tip. But learning your yeah. pace can be a huge yeah. thing. Learning right. what pace you can hold, yeah. you can handle. We always say trust your training, mm-hmm. which essentially comes down to, number one, having the confidence, knowing that you've done the work leading yeah. into a race. But the other thing is you know what you're capable of. Right. And you know, sometimes there's these massive breakthrough performances, but for the most part, you should have a pretty good feel for, you know, yeah. what you can and cannot handle. And that's kind yeah. of a huge thing there. Yeah. Workouts yeah. will indicate that too. Like the last thing I would recommend doing, or not the last thing, but one thing I would recommend doing it, and it might be the last thing in your training is about 10 days out. If you're, if you're eyeballing a 5k, you know, and your training is going well, and you know, about 10 days out, do a, a two to two and a half mile you know, race pace effort to mm-hmm. see if your goal, kind of like a goal race. Yeah. Pace. It's yeah. like a goal race pace at a slightly shorter distance to see. And if that, that should feel fairly easy. And if it does, then stick to your race pace plan for pacing. If it doesn't, then you might have to modify your effort. But yep. uh, so, all right. So you mentioned, uh, the, the warm up. right? Let's go ahead and uh, kind of get into that a little bit more. What are the mistakes we're seeing with the warm up? Um, you know, issues that people may have, we'll just dive up to warm up or lack thereof yeah. just in general here. What I see people do, uh, is not do a warm up mm-hmm. a lot. And it just, I guess it just depends, you know, if you're somebody that just is signed up at the last second and you're not competitive and you're not really 
too worried about it, then you just start the race and you start the race. But, you know, for people that are the we coach, uh, they what I see is is they either do too short of a warm up uh, uh, or too long of a warm up. And it's um, and it I don't know, they people that I have seen, they also get caught up in doing what other people are doing before warm ups for warm ups and not knowing why. So like a lot of things I would see in uh, cross-country coaching in high school at all different levels in high school was, you know, you see kids doing strides, you know, right before the race starts. They're out there and they're sprinting as fast as they can for 20 seconds and then sprinting back and then sprinting out and sprinting back. And then two minutes later, the gun goes off, mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, it's great to do it, but you got to know why you're doing it. Got to have the why. And so the, when I've asked people, well, why are you doing that? For your warm they, they don't really know, yeah. you know, so. Because well, he was doing it. The person yeah. next to me did it. Our, yeah. our main suggestion there is always an active dynamic warm-up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and hitting those warm-ups um, with, you know, 10 minutes to start time-ish. You know, yeah. enough time to get uh, lined up, let the nerves calm. Um, you can do a few more active movements while you're standing there. But, you know, like you said, you don't want to go even a short effort you don't want to go all out and then line up on the line and have to do that again yeah because obviously there's a lot of times even just the first 20 meters of a race is going to be pretty fast yeah. i mean there's if you're a competitive person races even though you shouldn't be pacing the first uh part really hard you know the first 50 meters is always yeah. a, a, a sprint to kind of get position and get mm -hmm. you know get yourself yeah. settled in um, but doing those active dynamic warm-ups um, prior to is always more beneficial because you are actually increasing the elastic capability of the muscles um, and you're not so when you sit there and you static stretch and you haven't properly kind of warmed up the muscles it's kind of like I always use the analogy it's like trying to like manipulate a frozen turkey mm -hmm. like you're not going to get much out take of take yourself back to November people yeah go back to Thanksgiving time <laughs> yeah and that frozen turkey you had. Not real easy to manipulate. Mm -hmm. uh, but once you get warmed up, those muscles will actually uh, stretch out and elongate optimally while maintaining that elastic recoil of the muscles, which is what you know we yeah. teach. So, so, you, so you just talked about static stretching and our active dynamic warm-up. What would be your, like, one minute, this is how you do an active dynamic warm-up? Uh, you know. it, really, it really boils down to just getting your heart rate up, and then doing some uh, dynamic exercises, dynamic movements, starting from the top down um, with the shoulders, working into your core, working into your hips and glutes and hamstrings and quads, and then even lower leg, ankles and feet. Um, with when I'm talking about active exercises, I mean like squats, lateral squats, you know, heel toe raises, exactly. arm swings, stuff that's not sitting in one spot. You're moving coordinated movements that are going to help the brain communicate with the muscles you know that's the kind of thing that you're doing in an active warm-up that is going to allow you to start at pace exactly and yep. not have to take that first quarter you know you know 800 meters or whatever to get up to speed and build up to speed and then you know on a shorter race you're losing that's losing time if you're not able to start at pace yeah uh, or the pace that you want based on your plan mm -hmm. um you know the active and dynamic warm-up allows you to get there right off the start. Hmm. Um, so, so let's, I mean, great, great rundown there. And we actually have on our YouTube channel, we've got an active dynamic warm-up up there. If anyone yeah. wants to search it and find it, 
you mentioned squats. I think there's probably gonna be a lot of people that heard doing a squat in a warm up, and they are so scared of just doing squats in general for how that makes their legs feel, yeah. which kind of rolls into our next uh, uh, topic to talk about here: strength work. What are the mistakes we're yeah, seeing there? Massive, massive uh, mistake yeah. is avoiding yeah. strength work. Yeah. Um, I always tell people like strength work is your it's durability. Like if nothing else, it is it is going to prepare your body to take the pounding of whatever mileage that you're doing. Um, on top of that, strength work allows you to hold form longer. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can say you can, we can, you know, preach injury prevention. It, it does that strength work. Isn't going to prevent every injury. Yep. Um, you can do a lot of other dumb things to hurt yourself. <laughs> um, but strength work really is, is that durability. It's your longevity in the sport. Um, and it's and it's going to allow you to hold form longer, and if nothing else, it keeps all those muscles activated so that they can contribute uh, in the workload where they're supposed to. You know, the biggest thing we see, obviously, from endurance athletes is like shut down glutes, mm-hmm. really, really, really weak core. And I know we talked about this other day. I could do a whole, I could do an entire podcast on the lack of spinal control in endurance athletes. Um, it's gonna but, be a hot button topic. Yeah, when we, uh, when we float that one. <laughs> Give us some thumbs up if you want to hear spinal control. <laughs> Hold back. Sounds like a, a rock song from uh, yeah, spinal, spinal control. Tap. Spinal tap. Uh, there we go. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they like as a triathlete. Like to me, I say to myself, <clears throat> look, if you if you're just running, you've got time to put strength work in your into your you know program. Um, you know, so. Like, don't avoid it. Don't think it's just going to make you sore and ruin your runs. Um, you've got to you've got to progress it in, but you've got it has to be there. Especially uh, the older you get, um, you know, for people who've just been doing miles and miles and miles. If you've plateaued, I, I listened to a, a podcast yesterday uh, by Matt Dixon, really well known endurance coach, and he did a whole podcast on. Uh, strength training for endurance athletes and brought up a bunch of case studies and he one case study was basically the typical I've been training for years have a ton of miles in my legs just love running miles and for the last couple years I've been flat as can be and he took this woman and basically made her only do intensity and strength work and she was still running faster in marathons than she had ever ever ran um, with very little to no actual endurance running mm-hmm. because she has banked all those years yeah. of miles right your your yeah, fatigue resistance isn't her issue right yeah, yeah. her yeah. body so, knows her body knows how to run that pace it doesn't know how to run yeah quicker yeah so don't don't avoid strength work please yeah. don't yeah i mean the worst thing i've seen runners do the worst thing runners do is just run mm-hmm. you know that is that is the absolute worst thing um when i when i coach kids that just love the sport or when i was you know, fitting people for shoes um, you know, they would talk about what's going on and how can I, you know, it'd come up that I was a running coach as well. And, you know, they'd, what can I do to get better? And I'm running this, 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 and this, and doing this for workouts. And I'd be like, well, what are you, are you doing any strength work? And they're they, inevitably they'd say, no, you know, I would say nine out of 10 people out there, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's a major it. hole yeah. in a lot of people's. Yeah. And one uh, way to really correct it is, you know, there's no real difference between, in my opinion, between a 60 minute run and a 50 minute run. 
So if you've got a 60 minute run on your schedule, stop at 50 minutes. And if it's an easy run, if it hadn't been too intense, add in some strength work at the end of it. You know, you don't have to, the excuse of I don't have time really doesn't muster, you know, because you can you can manipulate your training program to fit it in our our like general suggestion for people is you know two to three sessions of 45 minutes now you can take that total of an hour and a half you know of two sessions and break that into 15 to 20 minute blocks and now you can pop those in the beginning like you said beginning or end of other training sessions right and you're still getting the total the the right amount of strength work and targeting those muscles that are really going to help improve your running you just didn't have to go into a you know do a, a specific session for those exercises you can break it up it's not a big deal um just do it exactly yeah. and and this sort of goes back to that dynamic warm-up as well you can add strength building the first time we take people through an active dynamic warm-up if they haven't done it before there's a lot of folks where that takes a lot out of them mm-hmm. um, just because they're not used to the movement mm-hmm. pattern and those muscles having to to actually fire uh, over a larger range of motion. Yeah. So just working some strength building stuff into your, your warm-up uh, as well as, a, as an easy fix, you know, is, is that the greatest thing? You know, is that better than doing a 45-minute very structured strength training session? You know, no. But is it better than not doing anything at all? Yeah. Uh, of course not. Yeah. So, And after, as you add in those 15 to 20-minute sessions, you can build up to a 45-minute section I mean, that's what i would advise you know you don't want to stick with just 10 minutes at a time eventually mm-hmm, you want to exactly. work it into the 45 minute blocks but it's a good way for beginner people beginner strength athletes who haven't done it to i think to kind of get going um, so, so we we kind of touched on two different things as part of that um we mentioned injuries you know strength training is you know it's not going to prevent injuries but it could be something that um you know helps reduce the risk of injury uh, and we also talked about the people who just like to run and run and run and run and run some more. <laughs> so they're stacking on some big, you know, big mileage, yeah. um, you know, for some, you know, especially beginners that too much too soon thing mm-hmm. can, can happen. Um, injuries can occur, people running through injuries. So let's kind of, kind of dive into that yeah. um, a little bit more, kind of break that down, you know, the too much too, sh- too soon the running through injuries, you know, how do we help prevent that? And uh, let's just kind of kind of dive into those two things real quick. Yeah, I mean, uh, too much too soon is a, is a very common thing. Uh, like I would say the too much too soon for new runners is very common. But the I would say just because of the population that we tend to coach, um, the too much too soon comes in the, in the, um, the realm of, getting back to it too quickly mm-hmm. like or they take like you know they take an like take the off season to go really easy and they say to themselves well i've done 40 mile weeks before i've done this and that and the other i've been at this level before i can get back there in two i've weeks. run these paces yeah. before like, you know? yeah. so it's not necessarily the that they're just like it's not the progression it's not necessarily progression of overall miles but the entire training load for them based on what they've been doing for the last, I don't know, like three weeks, mm-hmm. four weeks, five weeks is, um, you know, it's just too much too soon for them. So like Chris, do you have any ma- like major examples of other like too much too soon? Uh, I mean, one of the best examples that, and I hate to say it was myself 
from last summer. Um, I, uh, I mean, I'm, and I've been coaching for a long time and running for longer. And I wanted to do the, uh, the M-Town series. And the first race was the Zoom to the Zoo, you know, four miler. And I hadn't been running much at all. I'd been biking a whole lot. And, but I knew the paces that I could maintain just through a, f- a few race pace runs I did a couple weeks before the event. And um, at about the three mile point, my hamstring just I just felt it just it didn't pop I didn't tear it but it was a serious strain and I mean I could I could I finished but I probably should have stopped running the race at that point um and so for me the too much too soon was uh, it related to intensity trying to go too fast too soon I mean I I could definitely go out and run four miles at a much at a little slower pace and been fine but it was trying to go too fast too soon without having put the mileage, you know, in on the legs. I think, you know, for people like me that kind of flop from between running and biking, you know, cycling it, unless you crash, you're not hitting the the pavement, you know, with your body. And so you're not, you're not used to that force impact and running, you're hitting the ground, uh, you know, a whole lot, even in a 5k, you're taking thousands of strides and that causes, causes a lot more trauma in different ways than, than just biking. And so you have to be sensitive when you're jumping back into running um, and pay attention to your intensity uh, and and uh, and your volume as volume increases your intensity typically decreases uh, in running and so you know as your intensity goes up your volume goes down a little bit in, in training so yeah so you know our my big like recommendation here for those listening if you're new to running just make sure you're progressing your mileage, uh, yeah. you know, gradually, like, and not, not trying to rush in. Like, uh, the worst thing you can do is you find out that you, you signed up for a half marathon and you're like f- five weeks out and now you're cramming for the test. That's <laughs> not where you want to be. Your body cannot cram for a test. No. So like for those of you who are competitive, um, you know, like yourself and your brain is always there. Your brain's always like, I could do this. Like no biggie. Yeah. Um, progress the intensity more than the volume. So, um, like work in as you're bringing your volume back up, work in strides and just get the muscles firing quickly first, uh, for short periods of time. And then you can kind of go into more like what we call low volume speed. So you're just doing like, like maybe six, four hundreds and just getting the body used to it with a lot of recovery between. Mm-hmm. And then once you kind of gone through maybe, you know, four, four weeks or so of that, you know, um, build up with the low volume speed and the strides, then you can get into doing more like serious race pace, track workouts or VO2 max stuff. Um, cause otherwise you risk, I, I mean, I've been there myself, like, like, I've been just running volume basically over the winter. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, I need to do some speed work because I haven't done it in a while. And then you try to go smash out, you know, some VO2 max 400s or 800s and uh, you crush yourself. You crush yourself for days. And if you're not smart about it, you're going to hurt yourself. I would think that, you know, through a base period of training, you know, two to three times a week, maybe two would be better, but sprinkle in some, uh, you know, some faster, uh, shorter efforts at the end of easy runs you know four by 15 seconds mm-hmm. or just a few things like that to where you're still your brain and neuromuscular connection it's still there with your mm-hmm. legs so that when it comes time to transition from your base to that you know that 
that more competitive and, and peaking phase of your training, you're able to, your body can call on those muscles to do it. The biggest problem is, is just going straight from, you know, okay, I'm running a bunch of mileage at an easy pace to, all right, I'm going to go out and do, you know, four sets of 800 meters all out. You know, I would yeah. never advise that. You always want to give your body the ability to adapt over time so that, you know, you don't get injured. So this goes, this kind of rolls pretty well into uh, one of the other big mistakes that we see, and that is never actually learning to run fast. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it is probably, I mean, a lot of the runners that, that come to us, they've done track workouts and stuff like that. It, you know, obviously we were talking before, speed is relative. Like speed yeah. workouts are relative to the to what you're training for. Um but you never actually have taken the time to learn the skill of running fast. And what we're talking about here is um, learning how to like develop your stride length or your stride rate uh, or just your mechanics in general. You're, you're just running efficiently. And that stuff pays off dividends like over the long haul. And it gets harder. It gets harder to do it. Like the further, the more chronological, uh, how, you know, like your chronological athlete age the older you are in a in your athlete age, the harder it is for you to make changes in these things. Yeah, you've ingrained habits essentially. Right. Yeah. So um, we will do a shameless plug here, and that is we are doing uh, we actually are doing a stride rate and stride frequency running clinic at the Schilling Farms YMCA. If you're local um, in the Memphis area, uh, Speed Skills Run Workshop March 30th at 8 a.m. at the Schilling Farms YMCA. And you can get all the information on that. We'll put it in the um, the notes here. And then uh, you can check that out on Facebook and uh, our website. And uh, so in that clinic, we are actually going to, we're not just going to run people through the drills and say, have a good day. We're going to teach them kind of the progression of how we would progress those drills um, in in developing stride length and stride frequency so that you can continue to work afterwards mm-hmm. um, and really allow those um, those adaptions to set in. Because, you're, not, I mean, realistically, what we hope you to, you get out of the clinic is the, like you get, you can feel what it's like to run fast. Um, and then, you know, you take those drills and continue to develop that. If you don't do anything with it beyond the clinic, um, sorry, you're not going to get exactly. faster. I mean, it's just, these are, these are habits and um, movements that you're training to, you're trying to change and it takes more than obviously one, one go at it. So, well, and that's also yeah. a, a, you know, a big mistake that I think a lot of people make is they don't, uh, and we're going to dive into, you know, the easy runs being too hard, but easy runs are a great opportunity to be working through yeah. the mechanics, the mm-hmm. technique stuff, learning what it feels like, uh, to have that proper leg turnover. Um, yeah. so, so athletes never taking the opportunity to actually scale things back a little bit making easy runs easier, having dedicated technique days, and actually learning uh, learning the proper technique mm-hmm. to, to move faster, I think would fall into that, that mistake yeah. category as well. Mechanics in general, like mechanics work in general is speed skills. Like if we, mm-hmm. w- like on the front end of many programs that we create, like if we're diving deeper into, this, into the cycles, um, I use speed skills as a cycle early on for a lot of different athletes. Um, because I want them to take some time and learn how to run more efficiently and turn their legs over faster and utilize their posterior chain to increase your stride length and all that stuff. 
and you see some really incredible benefits from it. Um, our, um, I don't know, we've shout out to John Zinn several times and he's training for Gulf Coast 70.3, but we're spending this whole front edge, uh, working on his mechanics. And, yep. you know, he just sent me another text the other day where he ran the exact same route that he ran in, um, September, he ran it two days ago and he ran it like almost 20 minutes faster. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like a nine mile course. He ran it like 20 minutes faster and that was nice. the longest run he's done in months. Yeah. So, you know, it just goes to show that if you work on the the mechanical side of things, you're going to get the benefits that you're going to get benefits that you're looking for without actually having to do like a ton of like hard intervals or yeah, hill, yeah. hill repeats mm -hmm. or stuff like that. I mean, it, it is totally worth your time yeah. to work on this stuff. Just really quick, not something we had written down, but from a technique standpoint, uh, what do you see as athletes making the bigger or runners making the bigger mistake with? Is it a stride rate thing or a, uh, or length, or is it a frequency thing? Uh, well, the first thing that comes to mind and I'll answer that, but it's a lot of it. The first thing I see is their arm mechanics are off. Mm -hmm. And so, like when I see that their arm mechanics are off, that also is going to tell me that off is in how, like running like jolly joggers, like okay. crisp, like just like their arms are crossing arms the midline of the arms everywhere. are flailing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're holding their wrists too tight, or they're holding their wrists too loose. Their hands arms, are low. Hands are low. Yeah. Hands are too high. Shoulders are tight. You know, um, and so that like it, you know that that right there tells me okay, if we fix that. Yep then that can help that leads into their their stride frequency yeah, for sure. and how yeah. how many times they're moving their legs yeah it's really minute. hard to move your legs any any slower or faster than your arms are moving yeah. if yeah, you have kind of their metronome right yeah they're in sync so yeah, it's funny to try to do it, it too is. it's hard <laughs> yeah so if your arm movements are slow because your arms are way too long and you're holding them down by your waist or whatever mm -hmm. um, your legs are going to move that slow yeah um, so yeah, our movements are a huge thing. And then just posture in general, uh, you know, people just run slumped over and, uh, they're not standing tall. Yeah. They're not, so. their, their, their core is totally like yeah. inactive in, <laughs> in their running. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be strength, but for a lot of people, it's just cueing them to stand up straight and run keep, tall, right? Yeah. Keep their line of sight. You know, I see all the time people looking straight up when they run or looking down at the ground, you know, your, your body follows your head. Mm -hmm. So if you look straight up, you're going to stand way too tall and like your hips are going to come forward. And if you look straight down, your butt's going to fall out and your in your uh your feet are going to start to like land out in front of your body. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's a lot of just things you can change from the waist up yeah. that yeah. affect from the waist down yeah. and it's just a simple fix. Um but it's again, it's totally worth your time. Yeah. Sure. And I, like the just real quick, the I think the thing to answer your question is is like they just the, there's a misconception of what stride is, you know. Like they, uh, you know, either kids I'm working with, their parents will tell me, oh, their their stride is they need to make their stride longer. And so I'll ask the kid, okay, well, what do you think? Or an adult, I'm, what do you, what's your stride? And they'll be like, what's well, how far apart my feet are? And that's not right. So I think a lot of it is just misconceptions about what the terms actually made, you know, like what is, how far, what is stride, you know, what is, you know, why is increasing your, your, uh, your cadence beneficial to your running. So, and how do those tie in together? So I, you know, just, 
understanding the terms mm -hmm. and come to the clinic at Schilling Farm, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> shameless shout out. Chris, but shameless, no, but seriously, like knowing what the words mean helps you understand yeah. how to apply them to your running. And like Dale said, you don't have you won't have to go out and do, you know, 15 hill reps or, you know, eight mm -hmm. 800s to get quicker. Even if you're chasing a, some microseconds or smaller amounts of time, you can make some form adjustments over time and it'll, it'll help you. That's huge. I mean, this the to kind of go back and answer Brian's question, it's not really... When you ask about stride rate and stride frequency, the big answer is it depends. It depends on the athlete. Right. And, you know, I've seen people have really great uh, turnover um, and it just comes down to they're just not covering a lot of ground or they're they're bouncing up and down too much. Yeah. Um, and then there's people that have, you know, really slow leg turnover, but their stride length is, you know, is good. And it just, it's, there is no set, there's no, like everybody says, oh, it's the magic 90 RPM mm -hmm. number. There's no magic number. Uh, it just so happens that when you turn your legs over a little bit quicker, your running economy is generally better. Um, but there's not like a magic 90 RPM. That's just where, it just so happens to where a lot of people fall into when they're running mm -hmm. fairly You're efficiently. Elite, elite um, level folks. Yeah, if I you mean, look at more elite level folks, the stride rate for, a 1500 meter in the mile 5k is the same then as it would be when they're doing an easy run yeah you know that it doesn't change it's the distance and the force they're applying to move forward that, that changes at that point so yeah all right so let's uh let's transition from there Moving we dove into on. that one we got the shameless plug uh obviously the technique is huge um and it's a big thing that that helps you improve your speed um we've we've alluded to mileage so doing too much too soon we've talked yeah. about um, you know, some volume and intensity stuff. So weekly mileage, I know a lot of people, uh, runners will be like, okay, you know, I got to hit X amount of miles yeah. or what mileage are you running? Um, would you guys advise basing, basing your, uh, your running on the mileage? Mm, I would advise awareness, but awareness, but not obsession with it. You need to be aware of what's effective. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's, the most important aspect to a runner's training is, is sticking to a specific weekly mileage plan um, because running and training is a process of discovery. So, you know, you're going to find out what works for you and what works for you at different parts uh, in your training. You know, when you get older, you might not be able to handle as much mileage. So you can't, you know, you can't run, you know, 50 miles a week. You might have to do 30, but that's effective. So um, I would say that, you know, if you're, uh, obsessed with your mileage and you're counting it constantly um, and you're looking and you know that's an issue and, and you're itching for ways to stop uh, one way to do it and this kind of applies to a few other things is that we'll get into maybe in a bit is you know take off your watch and look you know and don't run no Chris watch. I am not taking off my watch <laughs> don't worry about it doesn't yeah. count yeah I mean you probably know how far your routes are anyways so you if you're count. a runner you're you're used to running the same routes most mm. days so you know it uh, so just don't use your watch for a week and see and see that that's okay you know you're not gonna die you'll be able to handle the training and it gives your brain a different It'll force your brain to think about things differently. It'll, you'll pay attention to sensory data, how hard you're breathing, how much you're sweating, when your arms start burning, you know, where is the wind coming from, things like that. So I, so I personally don't, like, here's my take between, there's two populations, the newer runner and the more experienced kind of competitive runner. And I would think, and 
personally for new runners, I don't think there should be a, a, um, you shouldn't be worried about mileage at all. Um, it's more of a time thing, like focus on the time you're on your feet. Um, because the, the route that you take and everything else determines what the actual workload of that run is. So if you give them a six mile run on a flat course and a six mile run on a really hilly course, that is two different training loads on that person. Mm -hmm. So with, for somebody who is needs to be progressed more slowly, if you give them uh, things based on mileage, you're 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 risking overdoing it for them. Um, whereas if you're if you're focused on the time mm -hmm. over a hillier course, they're going to be slower. So they may not cover as much distance over a hillier course, but you know, all in all, the training load is going to be fairly yeah. equal. Mm -hmm. um, so with with the other population, with the more competitive person, you can focus more on mileage. Obviously, it doesn't need to be like, we've got to get 40 miles, 50 miles in this week. Um, you know, for some people doing ultra marathon and stuff like that, obviously, weekly mileage is a little bit more important. Um but again, that terrain that you run is going to determine um, like how much time you're out there. Yeah. Right. When well, so, we start talking about training load, like the load that is being placed upon the body, mileage ne isn't necessarily, this is what I'm getting from you here, is mileage isn't generally the best indicator of what that load may be. No, because you could, I mean, take for example, a, run, a race that all runners, like most runners want to qualify for, maybe Boston, well, it's downhill. 13, 14, 15 miles, and then you hit some big hill, bigger hills. They're not killer, but where they are in the race is important. And then you go downhill again. And if all you're doing is practicing on flat courses and you're running, a, well, I'm running my weekly mileage, you know, I feel ready. Your body isn't used to the load that's going to be applied to it at that specific race because of the course. And so your quads are just going to feel this shock like they never have before when you hit the first series of hills. And so, you know, focusing on weekly mileage, it, it, it can, take away from focusing on other things that are important too, like knowing the course and understanding specifics of the race. Yeah, general. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and I think that also kind of dives into the next part. Um, people, the, the gray zone of training, you know, as it's often referred to as um, doing the easy runs way too hard. I think that's a trap that people kind of fall into. If you are thinking about mileage, you know, maybe you didn't get quite as much in on your, longer run day so now you're trying to get your mileage back up on your easier day um is that something you guys are seeing a lot you know going too hard on easy days uh overrunning easy days doing too much mileage all the time what are mistakes you're seeing there from, i see uh, a lot from triathletes because you're doing so fewer runs than you would do if you're just training for a run race so uh, they get in their head that they have to run hard for every run um to keep some mileage up you know mm -hmm. um but what you're doing is you're sacrificing quality somewhere. Yeah. You're just going to run hard like all the time. The hard workouts are not going to be hard enough. Um, you know, or as in the, in the case of a triathlete, you're going to sacrifice what you could be doing on a hard workout for the sport that you're weakest at um, because you love to run and you're running too hard all the freaking time. Uh, and you won't back it down enough to actually put quality into those other sports that you're yeah. weakest at. So 
yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's a huge mistake that, that runners in general make is mm-hmm. just, they know they can run this pace and if they run slower, it's, uh, you know, it's not, not helpful to them. They're not going to gain anything from it, yeah. but if they run, if they, I feel like if they run faster, they're getting farther, they're going to burn more calories or whatever they're, mm-hmm. what's, whatever they have in their head. But if you're really looking to improve, you've got to make the quality days like super quality and mm-hmm. then just not even worry about that's what you're talking about get rid of your, get rid of the watch yeah like on easy on runs. easy days cover it up yeah i mean you don't need to get rid of it i mean let's, yeah. let's not get crazy Chris. we still want that data man <laughs> like, we still want that data uh, but you could you know turn it around <laughs> I, sometimes i'll turn it on you know put it put a piece of duct tape on top it, of it or something yeah like yeah um or just be disciplined enough not to look at it which is we all know is impossible that's impossible i'm the worst about it this is this is something i think that goes you know dale mentioned triathletes runners are guilty of it cyclists are guilty of it I think we're all guilty of always thinking like, if I'm going easy, I'm not benefiting. Well, especially yeah. for time crunch athletes. Exactly. Like, you have limited time, so you think that you have to go hard on every workout and get the most out of every workout. Mm-hmm. But that's just not how physiology works. And this is where <laughs> kind of going back into what we talked about, it's a great opportunity to focus on another aspect, more fundamental style mm-hmm. stuff, your technique. Yeah. Your efficiency, your mechanics, yeah. those easy days, you know, you, you mentally can probably wrap your hand, uh, head around a little better if you've got a focus for it that's not intensity related, but it's instead, you know, a body mechanics or yeah. an efficiency or a technique thing. Yeah. And, you know, I would advise you if you're out there, you're listening to this or watching this on Facebook, if you're wanting, if you're trying to get faster and you're wondering why you're not, um, if what you're doing isn't working, you know, change it. And change if one of, yeah, change something. And if one of the things you're doing is, and you know it, and most people are aware of it, is if you're running your easy days too hard, you're aware of it. You know, like every runner I talk to, whether it's a family member or a friend or somebody I'm coaching or I'm reevaluating and reflecting on my own running is, I, just, I probably ran that a little too hard, but I felt good. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to go. Well, let your body feel good then so it can feel good on race day because you have to adapt. Better, right? yeah, yeah, you have to adapt to it. So, you know, if what you're doing is not working, change something and the easy run is the easiest thing is is the easiest thing to change because you don't have to try to go harder you have to try to go slower yeah exactly right <laughs> i mean and that's a great opportunity to uh you know from like a cycling standpoint what i've encouraged uh my my athletes to do is find you know a person who is at maybe not as fast of a level as you yeah. or go on a, a slower group ride mm-hmm. something that you know is a controlled pace but a lot slower than what you usually would you still get the social aspect of it. Mm-hmm. It's a great opportunity for you to meet new people, um, you know, possibly offer advice and help new people out. But it's a way to kind of control your pace. But only do that if you actually will maintain the slow pace. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't drag right, we're everybody. Gonna, we're going to shift gears a little bit. Um, shoes. So Coach Chris, uh, you know, worked at a, at a running store for a decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. Shoe-related questions here. Um, what are mistakes you're seeing as far as shoes are concerned in general amongst the running group? Uh, I mean, just in, in no particular order, people running too long in the same pair of shoes. Yep. Um, people picking shoes out because they're fad, that's a fad or a trend. Um, people, color, right? Color is really important. Um, pit runners picking shoes out because uh, their friends recommended, hey, I have this shoe, so right. come get it. Yeah. Um, 
And the reality is, is that it's like Dale said before, it just depends. You know, it really depends on how you run, what your foot does upon impact with the ground, how strong you are, how, you know, how experienced you are as a runner. You know, I've seen lots of people that aren't racers necessarily and self-admitted racers want to get, you know, racing flats Mm -hmm. uh, because they just see that as it, it's appealing. The advertising for that shoe and the marketing for that shoe has worked on them. It sounds so they fast get to it. me. Yeah, it sounds mm-hmm. fast. Or like, mm-hmm. you know, you see people want to get the shoe that the world record marathoner ran in because, you know, well, he ran in it. I should do it. Yeah. And that's marketing and advertising working on you. And I'm yeah, not saying exactly. it's a bad shoe. It, I've run in it. It's a, it's a fine shoe. But, it, you know, I would recommend um, making sure that uh, you don't have a ridiculous amount of mileage on your shoes and that being somewhere uh, within the range of 300 to 500 miles for your shoes running shoes that you probably need to get new ones if you're over that if you're in that range it's a good idea to start thinking about it um and if you don't know then visit you know your local running shop and ask them hey what do you think about this shoe you know does it feel like it's dead does it feel like the foam isn't responsive they should be able to tell you now you mentioned the quick test that uh, yeah. you will sometimes do yeah. good and uh, so like that one. so like a test and um you know uh if it's your own shoe great you you probably don't need to put a pair of gloves on but if it's somebody else's <laughs> shoe we're not you, telling you to go steal yeah. other people's shoes no here. no you might want yeah so what you can do is you take your shoe and if you can fold it in half like this way you know toe to heel and it folds real easy very easily like a piece of paper and if you can take it and fold it in half like a taco pretty easily, mm-hmm. uh, like, a, you know, as easy, almost as a piece of paper right around that effort level, then you probably need new shoes. Um, you know, if the foam is degenerated, it's not responsive, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to potentially lead to some injuries. Um, most of the time, minor injuries and pain in your feet and lower legs can be, and even in your knees, patellofemoral tendonitis, sometimes new shoes can eliminate that. I would recommend if you haven't been injured, just get the same pair of shoes you got. And buy a bunch. We've talked yeah. about this before, mm-hmm. right? Because what do uh, running companies like to do? They change Shoemakers? It up every year. Yeah. They like to change them up and the shoe's not the same, mm-hmm. right? I would say um, my, my recommendation to anybody who's been running, if you've been running and you've been training and progressing your mileage normally, and then all of a sudden your feet or ankles or shins or whatever start to hurt, probably because your shoes are dead yeah i mean good yeah. chance and I, I run to it all the time that's the first thing i ask somebody when they say that they've had they're having all of a sudden having knee pain foot pain ankle whatever uh i say well how old are your shoes yeah. and probably 70 percent of the time they're like oh yeah uh, i got these two years ago or <laughs> or you know something like that yeah. like um and be cautious like be cautious about like um the like f- more like racing flats they yeah. don't last as long. No, and they put a lot more pressure on your calves, your Achilles, because it's they're zero. Most of them are zero drop, but and so you're going to be on your forefoot if you, more. If the if the sole itself is thinner, it's not going to last as long. It's right. not. It's just less. Foam. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, like if something like a Hoka is really thick, so it may they've generally lasted a little bit longer, but they still get to the point where those soles are so compact. Um, that they're just not going to provide the cushion that mm-hmm. they're supposed to, being yeah. the marshmallow pillow. Uh, you know, and I would recommend wherever you live, go get fit at a run specialty shop. Every time you go get shoes, but visit your local running store and buy from them. I mean, I think it's great. If you know exactly what you need, maybe and you're in a pinch and you got to order it off the internet, I can get that. But like your body changes, your foot can change, and getting reevaluated each time 
it's going to make a big difference in yeah. in knowing yourself and in you know making well, sure you got you got fit properly. And they're and, also going to know what the new shoes are, right? Yeah. We just mentioned how uh-huh. they they change up the lineup, and you got new shoes coming out. Right. So here's what I was running in, and they they've got the knowledge, that background knowledge yeah. can save you. The money you would save by buying online, it's not mu- it's really they would not save much. you in you not having to do all the research and yeah. trying to, uh, they'd save you in time of not mm-hmm. having to do that research. Yep. All right, let's move. Uh, we're getting long. We're getting long with this one. Then speed it up. So we're going to speed it up. So racing, what are our thoughts on racing? What are mistakes we're seeing? Are people, uh, well, I'm, I'm not even going to go too deep into this. I want the, you to tell me yeah, the mistake, your thoughts on racing like, the mistakes. Mis- the mistake is racing too much. That's the number one. I mean, yeah. like yeah. people will just race, and I get it. Racing is a blast, tons of fun. But like, if you just race and race and race and race and race and never recover, like there's well, there's two things. You're never gonna you're never gonna recover from the high intensity efforts, or you'll eventually just never. You will not have put any time into fatigue resistance because you're just run, 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 like race, race, race your fatigue resistance diminishes and then you're going to run up into a trouble or you'll find mm. that you're just not running as fast because you don't have the uh, ability to hold pace paces long. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's, so, uh, biggest mistake, racing too much. Racing too, racing much. too much. So yeah. the fix, hide your credit card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Save some money. Yeah. Don't, don't yeah, race as don't, much. Yeah. Don't, don't race yeah, as much. Yeah. If you look at your, if you put it all on a calendar <clears throat> and you're seeing that you're like, you know, you're going, two and three weeks in a row with a race that you know is going to take a lot out of you. It's one thing if you're racing five K's and you're, and then like on Sunday you can get your long run in or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, that's, that's kind of one thing, but if you just keep hammering yourself and you never take a week off or recovery week, you're eventually going to run into a problem. Yeah. Okay. And then you're going to wonder what the heck happened. Yeah. yeah you'll see the spike in fitness initially and right. then, that plateau or just completely falling yeah, off the cliff. you'll race yourself into shape, yeah. and then you'll race yourself into uh, sitting on the couch. All right, last thing. Last thing we'll talk about here. A lot of people, especially people just getting into this, this sport of running, there's tons and tons of pre-built plans out there. Oh, yes. Um, you can, you know, a quick Google search will bring up a lot. There's some quality ones out there. What are mistakes we're seeing as far as uh, those that are taking, you know, these pre-built plans and now trying to use them as as their training program? I would say that's the, that's probably the biggest mistake in people make with a pre-built plan. And these and there's a lot of good ones out there. Exactly. I mean, there's there's a lot of bad ones out there, mm-hmm. um, but there are a lot of good ones out there. But what happens is people will get into um, a plan and then something happens in their life. And they get off the rails and then they have no clue how to adapt that plan for themselves to get back on the track. Exactly. And they run into an issue. So they'll get a week, a week or two behind on their long run or whatever. And then they're going to immediately just try to follow the plan and go from, you know, a eight mile long run to a 12 or a, you know, and there's, that's just too big of a jump, you know, where you were supposed to hit that 8, 9, you know, 11 and then hit the 12 or whatever, like you went, you, you know, life got in the way, you just weren't sure how to adapt it. So I'll just stick to what it says. Mm -hmm. And now you've gotten yourself in trouble because you've gone to too much too soon, basically. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, So that's the biggest mistake I'd see is just people have no clue how to adapt a program. If something, if it doesn't happen perfectly. Yeah. No, I think that's 100% spot on. I mean, there's a ton of great plans out there. If you're able to follow them, 
to a T. Sure. The issue is is it, and my rule my my way for avoiding that for anybody listening is if you get a pre-built plan and something goes off the rails for a week, usually like like take the longest or hardest workouts in the week that it went off the rails and move those to the next week. You can do like the auxiliary stuff that's yeah. on the the next week or whatever, but don't progress the longest or hardest stuff. Like, don't make that jump. Take it from the week that went crappy mm-hmm. and move it to the next week yep. uh, and let those follow you. And even if you don't get all the way to, like, the highest level long or hard workout, yep. that's better than making that jump, you know, and, and allowing that jump to happen. That probably will throw you into too much too soon. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And I guess the other the other thing I would throw into that, a lot of those plans are just based off mileage. And we just mm-hmm. talked about what some of the issues yeah. with mileage can be. So just be very aware of what the training load is relative to mileage. If you go on vacation and you're going from a flat normal training to now you're incorporating a lot of hills, mm-hmm. just be aware of that and what that's doing from a training load standpoint yeah. and how big of a jump is that going to make from a time and intensity. And scale back if you need to. You don't have to hit that mileage necessarily. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's, uh, I think that's all she wrote for today. We, uh, we went basically, we covered what? Three, three mistakes, right? Three little mistakes. Three Three things. And a lot of these are carry. If you made it all the way to the end and you're a cyclist, I commend you. We need to do a one specifically just for cyclists adding running as their cross training. Uh, We'll do that in the fall. Yeah. Put Uh, your, but essentially, (laughs) Uh, rewind and listen to the too much too soon, uh, and yeah. and really mm-hmm. focus on. You, you can you can do the same on a lot of these for cycling. Oh, for sure. Um, as well. All right, All we right. are at. I got it at fifty-seven. All right, let's end Woo. this thing then. Boom. We appreciate you guys hanging out, watching, listening, and uh, hopefully you'll you got a lot out of it. And we will catch you guys next week. Please weigh in on how you like the background. Adios. <laughs> Peace.